Hello everyone and welcome to episode 34 of Added Time, a Games and Work Studio podcast. It's been another eventful week in the world of football. It always is, I say it every week, but it gives us something to talk about, doesn't it? We're going to have the fallout from the Premier League, obviously, and what's been going on there. The battle at the bottom is still as tight as it was last weekend. I want to talk about Antonio Conte. Guy's lost his mind <laughs> a little bit. Let's have a look at the FA Cup quarterfinals as well and the FA Cup semi-final draw. And then we'll talk about the England squad and the upcoming England games. But no better place to start than the Premier League. So let's have a look at the weekend's results. So first off, we had Forest against Newcastle. Uh, Newcastle ran out 2-1 winners. And it keeps them in that top six place, pushing for top four as well. They're only two points behind Spurs now, and they have two games in hand on on them. So um, that's looking good for Newcastle. They've uh, managed to pick up a couple of wins. No hangover, it seems, from the League Cup defeat, which can happen to some teams, as we have seen in the past. Forest, they still find themselves in that relegation battle. Uh, a win would have taken them, I wouldn't say nicely clear, but they would have been up to around 12th and they would have put a bit, a bit of a gap between everyone else in that bottom part, but it wasn't to be. Uh, Aston Villa beat Bournemouth 3-0. So Villa are doing doing really well under, under Unai Emery. And... They find themselves very much clear of this of this relegation battle that's going on, and they are on the same points as Chelsea, and probably you know pushing now for for Europe a little bit. I, I don't think they will get there. It'd be interesting to see. There's been some events that have happened over the weekend that might see one or two of those teams drop away a little bit. So Aston Villa could potentially capitalise on that and find themselves in those European spots, which would be some achievement, really, for for Villa and for for Unai Emery, who, you know, great manager, really, uh, was unlucky at Arsenal. I mentioned it before that whoever was going to be first in at Arsenal after Wenger was always going to struggle. So Emery kind of proving his worth a little bit. A... Crazy game at St. Mary's. Southampton 3, Tottenham 3. So look, Southampton still find themselves bottom of the table. But it's definitely a point game. Because at one point they were 3-1 down. It looked it looked absolutely game over. But Spurs did a Spurs and it ended up being 3-3. And we've now had the, the now famous rant from... Antonio Conte, which I will come on to very, very shortly. So Southampton picking up a winner there. James Wild- James Ward-Prowse, easy for me to say, right at the death with a penalty. Cool and calm and smashed it into the top corner. What a player he is. I really, really rate him. A An even crazier game, probably, uh, at <laughs> Molyneux, where Wolves lost 4-2 to Leeds. Uh, we saw... Two red cards in the game, actually. A straight red for Johnny, who was sent off for a horrendous tackle on 84 minutes, which 
I did hear that Wolves were looking to appeal. I mean, if they do that, they risk the guy getting a five-game ban. And then it all kicked off at the at the end of the game with uh, Matias Nunes being sent off in the in the after aftermath of the of all of that after the final whistle. So look, this was a this was a much needed result for for Leeds as well. It's helped them out big time because without that, if they'd have lost that game, they would have found themselves probably in the bottom, very much in the bottom three. But a much needed win for them still keeps them in there. They're still in that, that pot of eight teams that are looking over their shoulder. Uh, Wolves are one of them as well. I don't think the Wolves fans were too happy either with the outcome. I mean, there was a lot of, a lot of yellows in that game as well. So crazy game at Molyneux, big win for Leeds United Chelsea 2, Everton 2. It looked like Chelsea were going to get the win and pile more misery onto Everton. Uh, But Ellis Sim getting a late goal there for the Toffees. Again, another point gained for those, for, for, for a team that are down there in the bottom part of that table. So it's just, it's just mad. It is just absolutely mental down there. Um, we also had Brentford won, Leicester won. Didn't see the game. I didn't go to the game, unfortunately. Uh, I did listen to it, and I've watched some extended highlights. Uh, I feared the worst when when Leicester went 1-0 down. And I really thought, oh, my God, we are going to be in the bottom three come the end of the day now. Leicester are only a place outside. Uh, West Ham do have a game in hand. So if West Ham were to win that game in hand, they would go above Leicester and Leicester would drop into the bottom three. But like I say, there's four points separating 20th and 12th or 12th and 20th. So it's one of those where you've just got to kind of take it game by game and look at the results that happen around you. From what I heard and from what I've read the second half performance was much better. Uh, it looked much better based on what I I saw as well in in that in those extended highlights. We we rely on James Madison so much. He really needs to stay fit. I really hope he doesn't get injured during this international break. He has been called up by England, which we'll talk about later on. So he we are we are reliant on him. And Leicester did create chances, and I don't know maybe maybe it wouldn't have been. Uh, a harsh result on Brentford had Leicester won. And actually, you know, you look at the context of the season, a point away at Brentford is is very good for a team that is struggling. So I will absolutely take that. Uh, I've seen some people say, look, it's a point gained. It's a point closer to survival. We've got winnable games, et cetera, et cetera. Some people are saying, look, it's still not good enough you know we needed a win a, w- a win would have been would have been wonderful but i will take a point away at brentford in, in the context of everything like i said uh one thing i do want to know I, I i've read that and actually i've had i've i've seen the tweet from the person themselves someone unfurled a rogers out banner at the end of the game uh, it was a it was a female fan 
And look, everyone's entitled to their opinion, free speech, all of that sort of thing. And apparently she was spat at. And it's disgusting. I hope the person is found. I hope they are banned. Uh, we don't want that in our club. and We don't want that in football in general. You know, I don't care how much beer you had to drink, how much you shoved up your nose. I don't want, it's not, it's not the done thing. So hopefully they're found and they're never allowed at a game ever again. So anyway, let's move on to more cheery things for Arsenal fans, especially 4-1 winners against Crystal Palace, who got rid of Patrick Vieira last week as well, following uh, following a defeat there, uh, the defeat at Brighton, which was played the night I recorded last week's podcast. So, yeah, Patrick Vieira sacked following a, a dreadful run. Some people have come out and, and really supported Patrick Vieira and said, well, actually look at their results. Uh, sorry, look at their opponents, look at who they've had to play in that winless run. And then if you look at their next three games, after this Arsenal game, obviously, you look at their next three games, they're all winnable. And actually, a new manager is probably looking at those fixtures and thinking, well, hey, I've got a nice easy one here. However, the manager in question, it looks like it's going to be Roy Hodgson, who, for all intents and purposes, was retired. I think he was last at Watford. Who knows? Watford have had another four managers since then. And that was only last season. So, I it's a strange one to me, and and I don't again, I don't want this to be all about Leicester, but it does kind of bring home the point to a degree around you get rid of Rogers, who do you bring in? Because I'm pretty sure that ninety nine percent, deep down, ninety nine percent of Leicester fans would prefer Brendan Rogers to Roy Hodgson. Some of them are that disillusioned with the guy that actually they would probably take anyone right now. But there we go. Let's go back to this game a bit more. Bit more. So Arsenal keep marching on, top of the table. Uh, they are eight points clear, but Man City do have that game in hand and they do need to play each other as well. Uh, Saka with a couple of goals. Martinelli on the score sheet as well. So Arsenal are going, are going great guns there. Uh, they did go out in the Europa League last week, though, on penalties. So, look, it gives them an opportunity to concentrate very much so on the on the league now, doesn't it? And they are obviously going to be in the Champions League next season as well. So winning the Europa League, yes, whilst it would have been a trophy, could have been a distraction. And I'm pretty sure that uh, Arsenal fans won't even be thinking about losing to Lisbon on penalties should they lift the Premier League trophy at the end of the season. So that is it for the Premier League fixtures. Now, Antonio Conte. Wow. Wow. Like I said, Spurs surrendered a two-goal lead to draw 3-3 to bottom of the table. Southampton. Now, whether it whether you're at home, whether you're away, it's it you shouldn't be doing that, especially someone like Tottenham. Now, after the match, Antonio Conte does his post-match uh, conf- press conference, 
and he just goes on a almighty, almighty outburst about the players, about the club, um, about the owners as well. Uh, it was uh, explosive, to say the least. It was explosive. So I'm trying to find the quote, and I want to say, you know, I want to try and say, here we go. The quote Conte has clarified with the board. Okay. So this is direct from the guy himself post-match. The club has the responsibility for the transfer market. Every coach that stayed here has the responsibility. And the players, the players, where are the players? 20 years, there is the owner, and they never won something but why? The fault is only for the club or for every manager that stays here? Question mark. You are finding an alibi, another alibi. You try to find an excuse for the players. Okay, continue to do this. To find an excuse for the players, you do only this. You do only this. Excuses for the players. But the players may be my future. Then we lost confidence. They lose spirit. They lost being a team. Excuses, excuses, excuses. Try to protect them every time. It's... Wow. Wow. I mean, uh, he's, he's basically he's basically throwing the players, the club, the owner all under the bus, making a point that they've not won anything for for twenty years in the time that I, I don't think I think did they win the league cup? But you know he was he was off on one. He wasn't going to be worried about dates or anything like that. So I think it's quite clear that. Conte is going to be gone come the end of the season. His contract is up anyway. And I think he is just waiting for a job to come back up in Italy. But this kind of, to me, this feels a little bit like, come on, sack me now because I have had enough. I've had, he has clearly had enough. Now, you know, we all joke about Spurs and about them bit bottle jobs and Spursy and all this sort of thing. Jose Mourinho, from from what I can tell, has won a trophy at every club that he's managed at. He's won the Conference League at Roma. He's obviously won the Premier League with Chelsea. He won the League Cup and Europa League with United won the Champions League famously with Porto as well. The only club that Mourinho hasn't won something at is Tottenham. And I think the same goes for Conte as well. It's such a strange one. It's such a strange thing that Spurs haven't won something, not even a League Cup or anything like that. It is so weird because as much as we joke about it, they are a big club. You look at the stadium... You look at the squads that they've had in the last, or the players that they've had in the last seven or eight years, and you would have expected some silverware. And you look at the stature of manager that they've had as well. Pochettino is so highly rated, despite the fact that he's only really won something in France with PSG. I mean, he didn't even win the league with them. And, you know, Jose Mourinho, 
again, Conte, you know, the calibre of manager that is going into that club and is unable to win something, it, it, it points towards something being wrong with the club. And the fans feel like it is probably the owner. Some Spurs fans, I would imagine, are very much on the side of Conte and probably feel that, do you know what? Fair play to him. Fair play for saying all of these things because we're fed up as well. And some will want him gone immediately. So watch this space in terms of Antonio Conte, what happens next with him. It's clear he he is not going to be the manager of Tottenham Hotspur come the first day of next season. Remains to be seen whether he gets them into the top four before he leaves or whether they now fall down the table a bit. I can't see it. They'll probably they'll be in that top six, I would imagine. Interesting times, definitely, at Spurs. Right then, let's move on to the FA Cup quarterfinals. I didn't cover this last week. I completely forgot that the FA Cup quarterfinals were were happening. And look, Man City, they breeze past. Burnley, 6-0. Erling Haaland, another hat-trick. Eight goals in a week for him. Another hat-trick. 42 now for the season. Uh, need I say any more? Uh, a lesson for Burnley, who are running away with it in the Championship and look like they're going to come up this season and be in the Premier League next season with Vincent Company at the helm. Uh, definitely a lesson there. But hey, Better teams, no disrespect, better teams than Burnley have been thrashed like that at the Etihad by Man City. So, yes, it's a bit of a lesson and it's a bit of an eye-opener probably for company. Not that he you know, doesn't know that he's going to have to probably do something different when they come up to the Premier League, but nonetheless, uh, a lesson indeed there. Uh, Brighton, comfortable winners against Grimsby as well. Fair play to Grimsby for giving it a go. And well done to them for getting as far as the quarterfinals. Sheffield United against Blackburn. I mean, this game looked crazy. Uh, penalties, handballs, own goals, and then a injury time winner from uh, I forget the guy's name. I want to say Tommy Doyle, but I might have that wrong. Uh, he's on loan from Man City. There's two two players on loan from Man City at Sheffield United. He scored the winner. Absolute beauty. And Sheffield United are in the semi-final. Now, due to the semi-final draw, those two players aren't able to play in the semi-final because Man City have drawn Sheffield United, which is a real shame. You know, stranger things have happened. Who knows? Sheffield United might beat Man City. Um, they might make the final. Stranger things have happened. I can't see it myself. And then the other game. Wow. Uh, Fulham against United. It was at Old Trafford, so United against Fulham. Again, unfortunately, a game I didn't watch. I didn't get to watch a lot of football this weekend. So a lot of this is coming from reading things and highlights and, and whatnot. Fulham took the lead, 50th minute, Mitrovic. And from what I can tell, they were the better team up until that point. And then around the 70, 
70th minute, Sancho goes through on goal and he's about to put the ball into the net and Willian handballs it off the line. And then he gets a straight red card, I think after a VAR review. And then what we don't see initially off camera is Mitrovic then pushes, puts his hands on the official in an aggressive manner. He is then shown a straight red card. United take the penalty. They score it. Marco Silva is then sent off, the manager. And then two minutes later, United make it 2-1. So in the space of, I think it's three minutes, something like that, maybe three and a half, four minutes, Fulham have gone from winning an FA Cup quarterfinal and are 20 minutes from a semi-final and knocking out United to being 2-1 down and down to nine men and they eventually lose the game 3-1. Absolute heads gone from from Fulham. And a lot has been said today about, about Mitrovic. Now, I, I saw it described as a barge. He barged the referee. I talked about Bruno the other week when he put his hands on the linesman in the Liverpool game. Sorry, the assistant referee in the Liverpool game, and I said, "Look, he, sh- he should go. He should have. He should have been sent off for that." For me, you do you do not put your hands on the official, whether it's in a petulant way, whether it's an aggressive way. And I said at the time with Bruno that, look, it wasn't it wasn't like when Paolo Di Canio pushed that ref over. Nowhere near like that. And it was the same with Mitrovic at the weekend. And I thought the referee did really well, actually. He just backed away, backed away, and then, and then, you know, eventually Mitrovic left the pitch. But sort of having watched it back and having thought about it a bit more, it's it's completely unacceptable. And there is this, there's always this perception, I say perception, this, this, thing around football where we abuse the referee verbally. Fans do it, players do it, managers do it. And at grassroots level, you see the parents used to do it. I mean, when I played football as a kid, it was a lot different to now. Now they have a, a zone, I think. they have to You have to stand so far away from the pitch at a certain age level. And I can completely understand why. I mean, I... Yeah, I've heard and seen some shocking things when I played football as a kid. So it's no surprise that that has happened. And there is a big problem at the moment at grassroots. And this has been going on for years, years and years. You know, eventually I went on to play like Sunday League. And it was a problem then that we couldn't get qualified referees because people didn't want to spend their Sunday mornings being abused by some scrote who's been out the night before and he's still hammered and he's calling him all the names under the sun and threatening him. And you've seen it in some parts of the country where referees have been chased off the pitch. They've been attacked. They've been beat up. And what that has meant is we've had a steady decline in, in people wanting to become referees and work their way up. And I actually think that this contributes massively to the, declining quality of referees 
we all look at things back in the day. It was much better back in the day. But I, I can almost, I, I genuinely feel that the referees in the in the mid to late nineties, early two thousands, were far better than the ones that we have now. Far better. Don't don't get me wrong. They got abused. They got stick. They were called crap. This, that, and the other. But I feel like this the standard of refereeing has dropped dramatically in the professional game and it's because we haven't got enough coming through at the grassroots level whether that's kids football sunday league women's whatever you want you know saturday league all of that so eventually what is coming through if you don't have the quality coming through coming through you you have to get to a point where you go well we need we need 10 referees you know and especially now you need 10 referees you need a fourth official two linesmen assistant referees You've got VAR, the VAR official, assistant. So you're having to promote people quicker and quicker. And all this will do is it will put people off even further. If they're thinking, well, if Mitrovic can do that, if a professional footballer can do that in front of millions of people because it's on TV then what's stopping, you know, <laughs> someone doing to, that to me on a, or worse, on a Saturday when there's no, or a Sunday where there's no cameras around and, and, and the like. The FA do need to come down hard on Mitrovic. A three-game ban wouldn't be enough. If I remember rightly, back in the day, I think Di Canio got nine games. So I think somewhere in the region of five or six games would probably suffice. Huge fine. I say huge fine. I think they could only be fined two weeks wages only. Um, so the the FA needs to come down hard on, on Mitrovic and teach him a lesson. Now, believe it or not, I mean, Mitrovic has always been known to be a bit of a hothead, but actually that's his first red card in a Fulham shirt. So maybe he has changed a bit. I think he was just fired. I mean, a bit fired up, obviously, but I, I'm not really sure what he was complaining about. It was a blatant handball by Willian. So it, it was, it's, he's just lost his head. And going back to what I was saying earlier about Villa potentially chasing Europa spots or European spots, Fulham are in that position. They're in there with Brighton and Brentford that could be pushing, and Chelsea to a degree, pushing for European places. Without Mitrovic, without Willian, who are, for me, probably two of two of Fulham's better players, how does that play out now for the rest of the season? If Mitrovic is going to effectively... If he's going to miss anywhere around sort of six games, then... That's the majority of the remainder of the season gone. He may he may be banned for the rest of the season. They might say eleven games or whatever it is, and you're done, and, and that's it. You you know you're done for the season. Uh, Fulham have got some games against teams down at the bottom as well, so that's going to make things interesting. Uh, and teams could capitalize on that. Teams down at the bottom could capitalize. The likes of Villa could capitalize if 
if Fulham start to drop points and Villa continue to pick up points, hopefully not too many. They've got Leicester in a couple of weeks. But yeah, it, it was it, it wasn't good. It wasn't a good look. And do you know what? When I when I compare it to what Bruno did, and I tweeted at the time and said, this is just more inconsistency. Yes, Mitrovic, right to be sent off. Completely wrong to put his hands on the referee, but where's the consistency with Bruno? When you compare the two, they're kind of, they're the same but different, which I know is a silly thing to say. Bruno's was more of a sort of petulant to the linesman, because I think the linesman actually moved Bruno first, put his hands on Bruno first. Uh, And it was more of a petulant, get off me, seriously, mate, we're being battered by our local rivals. I've got these lot in the cop calling me all the names under the sun. Just leave me alone. Whereas with Mitrovic, it was very it was very aggressive. Like I say, not Paolo Di Canio-esque, but it was aggressive. It was very different to what Bruno did. Not that I think he should have got away with it, but there we go. So that's the FA Cup. Like I mentioned, uh, you've got, uh, in terms of the semi-final draw, you've got Man City against Sheffield United and Man United against Brighton. So we are we expecting a Manchester derby? in the FA Cup final. We shall wait and see. I imagine it will be. I imagine it will be. But hey, like I said, stranger things have happened. Right. Before I wrap up the podcast for this week, let's have a talk about England, as it says there. So England play Italy and the Ukraine in Euro 24, Euro 2024 qualifiers. Uh, the Italy game is away in Naples, which resembled a war zone last week due to Napoli and Frankfurt fans. Yeah. And the game against Ukraine is at, is at Wembley, um, which as you can imagine, if it was away, it would be somewhere neutral anyway, all things considered. So Gareth Southgate named his 25-man squad for the two games. Uh, Chilwell and Reese James back uh, following their recent injuries that they had. Uh, Mark Gahey and e- Ivan Even. Oh, my God. I'll start again. Mark Gahey and Ivan Tony have been recalled into the squad as well. Much deserved from Ivan Tony, Despite the potential ban hanging over him, Southgate has done the right thing and called him up. So the squad in full, or the squad as it was announced, there has been a couple of players that have since dropped out or looking to drop out, not really sure who's coming in as replacements. So your keepers, Pickford, Pope and Ramsdale. It looks like Pope has dropped out. So I think Fraser Forster will come in. Chilwell, Dyer, Gahey, James, Maguire, Shaw, Stones, Trippier, Walker. Midfielders, Bellingham, Gallagher, Henderson, 
Madison, Mount, Phillips and Rice. Mason Mount looks like he is going to drop out as well. I'm not sure who's going to come in, who come into the squad in his place. Forwards-wise, you've got Foden, Grealish, Kane, Rashford, Saka and Tony. Now, Rashford looks like he's also going to be dropping out due to injury. Now, the big talking points, obviously, from this squad announcement are those that aren't getting minutes for their club. I think if this had been if these had been a couple of friendlies, I think we may have seen a varied squad. I think one or two other players may have gotten a call up. You may have seen someone like Solly March get a call up, who's had a great season at Brighton. I think you might have seen Ward Prowse get a call up. Despite these players not getting minutes for their some of these players not getting minutes for their club, Southgate has a group of players that he trusts that know his system, the way of playing and the whole ethos and philosophy, whatever you want to call it around England. I mean, for me, you know, obviously Harry Maguire doesn't play week in, week out, but Southgate trusts him. And to be fair to Maguire, probably Germany game aside last season, last year, Maguire's never really let England down. The likes of Conor Gallagher, Mason Mount, don't, I mean, Mason Mount has been injured uh, and isn't having a great time at Chelsea at the minute. Conor Gallagher, he, he is a he's a substitute, basically, for Chelsea, and he's probably going to be one of those players, potentially, along with Mason Mount, that will end up leaving Chelsea in the summer. Declan Rice, completely understand. James Madison has been called up as well. Very much deserved. Please don't get injured. Calvin Phillips, I think he's played 53 minutes of... Premier League football this season, something like that. I like Calvin Phillips. I think he's a very good player. I think he does a, a great job for England. But it just doesn't feel right that a player that has, has played so little minutes gets gets a call up. But like I say, it's it's Euro qualifiers and it's the players that he trusts. And you know, we've we've we're not that far away from these Euros. They're next June, June 2024 in Germany. So, you know, we're only 18 months away and, you know, we've seen with Southgate that it can be really, really hard to get into this England squad because he's got a group of players that he knows and trusts so well. I mean, for me, James Madison was only called up to the World Cup squad because of the basically the public pressure didn't play a single minute and then came back injured. You can pretty much name the one to 11. There might be a couple of, a couple of surprises in there. I think someone like Tamore is very unlucky not to be called up. I thought he he feels to me like he's found a bit of form again in Milan. And I thought he was excellent in the two games against Tottenham as well. You know, if this was a friendly, I'd like to see, I'd like to see Tony start, uh, but it's going to be Harry Kane, isn't it? He's the captain. Of course, he's going to start. Who plays on the left with Rashford looking like he's dropping out of the squad? I'd imagine it's going to be Grealish on the left, Saka on the right, Kane up top, and then your midfield of Rice, Henderson, Bellingham potentially. Uh, it's just the defence. Not really sure about 
because you've got Kyle Walker can can play as the right back or he can play on the right of a three. Trippier, he's been used at left and right back for England. Luke Shaw having a great season. Uh, Reese James is back. Ben Chilwell, as much as I hate to say it, playing well again, you know, doing really well. I mean, I look at that and, you know, I, I, I see the two centre, if it's going to be four at the back, the two centre-backs are going to be Stones and Maguire. So, um, not really, I'm not sure who's in the in the Italy squad. It won't be an easy game. I think a draw would be a fantastic result over, over in Naples. And I think England England should have the quality to beat the Ukraine as well at home. So there we go. That is my review of the England squad in the upcoming games. And that's the end of this week's Added Time podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to check out everything else that Games and Grab Studio studios has to offer Finn Steele has been doing one or two videos over on youtube a ps1 unboxing unwrapping video uh, where he he bought a ps1 and some mystery games as well so in a bit of a review of those ignore the fact that he chucked fifa 98 and fifa 2000 on the floor he's not into sports he's not into football and sometimes I'm very jealous of the fact that he knows nothing about football because sometimes I wish I knew nothing about football. Some people will say I do know nothing about football, but those people are cheeky bastards. I'm sure the clubhouse will be back as well sometime soon and the Games and Graps podcast will more than likely be back in force very soon as we head towards WrestleMania in a couple of weeks' time. But this has been episode 34 of Added Time. Thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to check out my social medias, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. You'll find the links somewhere. For now, my name's Steve. This has been episode 34. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, stay well, and I'll speak to you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.